The Startup to Scale Up Game Plan is brought to you by Alpina Search, Europe's premier talent search firm, dedicated to helping technology startups and scale-ups recruit high-impact executives. Now over to your host, Gary Riemann. Ricardo Sequeira, originally from uh, Portugal, where he was, so he tells me, a talented uh, rugby player and previously with uh, Cedars and Seed Camp, is now a partner at Point Nine Capital in Berlin. A Point Nine invests in early stage B2B SaaS ventures, and they've backed several unicorns, including Zendesk and uh, Typeform. So, uh, Ricardo, hola, tudo bem? Hola. Hi, Gary. How are you doing? Great to be here. All is very good on my side. Uh, just to kick things off, why did you decide to build out a career as a VC? Why not, for example, try to build a career as an entrepreneur or, or join a startup? It's always a, a great question to kick off a conversation with an investor. I guess I have as a, a passion in my life to really be able to connect the dots between new technologies and markets. I was always passionate about paradigm shifts. I think the key insight in life for my love for tech was when my mom gave me an iPod mini, the first one with the wheel. And I remember perfectly that for the first time in my life, I who was addicted to music and pirated and downloaded admittedly way too much music back in my teenage years, I was for the first time touching music, and that was when I I really realized that 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 technology could have such a an impact on how effectively you would consume uh, music in that particular case. But then I saw that happening across multiple different verticals and industries, and as such, I think I really decided on a career in tech. I spent some time in in startups. I worked for for Cedars back when the company was small sort of seed stage businesses, business, and ultimately had a great time there working with the team going from seed to series A to series B. But I felt really some sort of magnetism out of working with with founders and being able to be someone that could support them and be an extended part of their, their team on their journeys and trajectories. I admittedly haven't so far up until today, had a, an idea or a sense of purpose that would lead me to build something of my own. And as such, I feel like I can be or consume the energy and, and the magnetism that these founders that I now work with on a day-to-day basis have. And so I, I feel like aggregate of what I've done in the past in my career can be really applied to supporting entrepreneurs on their growth journeys. Ricardo, what's unique about Point9 and the way you as a VC firm engage with your entrepreneurs and with your portfolio companies? So our mission and ambition at Point9 is really to find great entrepreneurs building B2B SaaS and marketplace businesses at the seed stage. And we've been, for the past 12 years, purists of the seed stage, supporting entrepreneurs at what we call the 0.9 stage before that 1.0 version of the business is ready to launch. Uh, and 
uh, we've throughout the years by having a the focus on the stage and on that search for product market fit and b and that focus on the types of businesses that we back we've gathered a lot of expertise after working with more than 140 companies in how to support entrepreneurs and each of us at point nine will do about two three investments each year which means that we really spend a lot of time with our portfolio companies and we really want to be an extended part of the small team that constitutes the business at that point in time. And we put a lot of effort in really supporting our businesses, getting through product market fit and to a position where they then 12, 18 months post our investment are ready to raise a 10, 15 million Series A round to scale the business onwards. And I think decoupling that, it means that we focus on really what's needed to help the business get to the next stage, helping them figure out and structure their go-to-market strategy and motion, helping them build out the product function and make sure that really we're building product iteratively at a fast pace with the customer needs front and center, and ultimately build help support the founders in building the team, hiring and bringing A players into the organization really to prepare the business for scale and hiring for is, is really something that I'm very passionate about and, and, and like to spend a good amount of time with, 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 with the point nine portfolio on. So come back to the hiring and talent side of things in a moment. You mentioned product market fit. In such early stage businesses, how do you validate product market fit? There's no one size fits all for product market fit, but we feel that a business reaches product market fit when they've been able to find an efficient way to distribute their product offering to a specific segment to the market and ultimately are then able to scale the product and in a way that then enables them to tap in a bigger and bigger segment of the market that they're tapping into. And it's difficult to point out we are at product market fit in general, but I think what we see and help our founders effectively achieve is, is, is that they have the confidence that the way they're developing the product and the way they're reaching their customers in the market brings effectively an, an efficient and profitable way of developing the business from customer acquisition and lifetime value point of view. It's a lot about finding that gravity center that a business needs to have in order to then be able to raise capital to scale. And without that gravity center in place, without that understanding of the economics of the business, a business can raise a lot of money but be very inefficient in the way they spend that capital. If you were not absolutely convinced about product market fear and it's and it's hard to be a hundred percent convinced but let's let's say that the founding team the leadership team has really blown you away with their ideas with their ambition with their work ethic and and all of those things that you look for the human side of things but they hadn't entirely convinced you on product market fit now we see lots of businesses pivot they even pivot more than once would you still back a business like that, or would you tell them, no, go back to the drawing board, don't come back to us until you've just really figured out the product market fit? So we definitely invest in businesses before they've nailed PMF. That's part of the work that 
we do really help them achieve that so that they can then get to raise a strong Series A round. I think what we look for in the businesses that that we back is a lot of the things that you mentioned there, right? Like a very strong founding team with a clear understanding of the problem space they're building towards with unique insights that enable them to have very opinionated view and understanding of the market that they're targeting and ultimately some evidence of potential product market fit, right? Like maybe it's, we we hate to put the line in the sand in terms of, of revenue numbers because many times we invest pre-revenue, but ultimately the, they are building a product or a prototype of their product with some initial usage or with some initial pilot users or with some with a handful of customers that enable us to build a thesis around what needs to be done in the following year or year and a half to achieve that stability and ultimately be able to raise that series a round is what we love to see right like that that thesis building that we do in conjunction with the founder when we're assessing the building the business is really part of what really gets us excited about backing a specific founder and when we last spoke you mentioned that one of the traits you look for is that the founders need to be hiring machines which as a headhunter is music to my ears so how exactly do you make this judgment with the businesses with the people you invest in you know, ultimately a big part of the job of a founder as he scales his business is about building out the teams and the organization. And so this is a critical skill they need to have or acquire and constantly improve on over time. And for us, is the traits that we try to look into is like who they've picked as co-founders and how they came to be convinced to join that specific founder on his adventure, how they've attracted initial talent into the business or who they think they need to hire to complement the existing team at the point at which we invest and over the or looking at the, the, the years ahead of them, really try to understand if he is if the he or she is able to effectively build a strong narrative about his business, right? Like if the founder is a great storyteller and is able to get us very excited about the business he's or she is building. It becomes very evident that they will be able to replicate that excitement across the potential candidates that they are trying to bring on board into, into the company over time. So we ask ourselves, is such a founder able to really in the future, close top VP or C-level hires? Uh, will she or he be able to motivate and inspire people? And will she or he be able to go beyond personal networks that already know the, the founder from previous experiences? I think a lot of the traits related to fundraising and explaining the story, the and the mission the founders are on is really a, a great sort of parallel to how they would be able to attract top talent over time um, for the business they're building. 
I've noticed that a lot of really early stage companies are starting to take on board a head of talent or a head of people quite early, quite early in their maturity. What are your thoughts on that? When is the right time for a startup to hire a head of talent or a head of people? So that's a great topic to discuss. And we have a pretty opinionated view on this. As we spend a lot of time with the founders that we back, making sure that they professionalize the HR, talent, people function of their business early on. We believe that it's very hard to do this effectively once you scale to 100, 150 FTEs and are then trying to hire a first head of people and trying to build processes as the organization has, has scaled quite a lot. And it becomes very difficult to be effective at implementing this function. So looking at, at the stage of a business when we invest, they're typically a 10-people team. And at Series A, on average, a business is typically 40 people. So if you do the maths, it means that over a period of 18 months, you're going to hire more than one person a month. And if you really want to hire top talent for your business, that means thousands of leads, tens or hundreds of interviews per new hire. So it's very difficult for founders to do this themselves. So we incentivize our portfolio to really work with talent acquisition professionals in-house, but also leverage recruiters to work early on and support the business in bringing top talent into the organization in an effective way. But as you mentioned, limiting the HR function to recruiting, we feel is, is short-sighted. And people ops is a very important part of the HR function in an organization. So we want to really invest in companies that invest in people ops early on. And we incentivize the founders we work with to bring on board ahead of people pre-Series A, because there's a set of functions that need to be established early on that will only benefit the business. An example of that is culture and values. My partner, Louis, always says that culture eats strategy for breakfast and making sure that the founder is effectively implementing into his business or her business culture and values that can then be with the help of a head of people implemented across the organization is really important and has a drastic effect on the way the whole team glues together. Another important element is goal setting and performance management and making sure that the employees that you have in the organization are being effective and are performing at their top level and ultimately making sure that they can be successful inside the organization through feedback sessions, performance reviews, alignment of incentives, alignment of goals. And again, for a founder that is trying to figure out product market fit, building the team as he or she goes, it really becomes very important for them to have the support of, of a head of people that is able to implement the culture and the values defined by the founding team and the goal setting and performance review methodologies decided at a leadership level. So we feel that this head of people role is 
is really important and can have needs to have a direct link with the leadership of the organization. We're actually like in terms of methodologies for 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 goal setting and performance review. OKRs are a very sort of on vogue methodology, but we can't recommend one. There's a lot of different methodologies for this, and we work with companies to help them set up this process and make sure that the whole organization that is scaling fast during these 12, 18 months that we work close with entrepreneurs is effectively in place. And we'll publish a paper very soon on this. So, so we'll be able to share some of the knowledge that we've acquired by working with entrepreneurs in these processes for the wider ecosystem. Looking forward to um, yeah, reading that, uh, that paper when that comes out. Let's talk about Europe as a talent hub. What's your perspective? Europe as a talent hub for leaders with scale-up, true scale-up credentials. Is there sufficient talent in Europe? Or do you encourage your portfolio to recruit in the States once they begin to scale rapidly? So this is an important topic. One of the things that we see with the portfolio companies that we back is is that ultimately over the different stages of a business, they need to level up the organization for the next stages of growth. And we can talk about that later on. As businesses grow, ultimately, let's say SaaS business going from 10 million ARR to 100 million ARR is a very different challenge from a business going from 1 to 10 million ARR. And ultimately, there are not a huge amount of businesses in Europe that have gone from that journey of 10 to 100 million ARR, at least comparing this to the U.S. ecosystem. So it's hard to find executives in Europe, although the talent pool is growing because there's more of these examples in Europe, but still a small amount when compared to our friends on the other side of the Atlantic. and ultimately. For the number of growing and promising organizations coming out of Europe, there is a lack of executive talent that is able to bring these organizations to the next level of growth. And as such, what we see is that many of our companies look at setting up offices in the U.S., primarily to tap into the U.S. market because it represents 50%-ish of the SaaS software spend in, 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 in the world. But at the same time, it enables them to hire C-levels and VP-level execs that have gone through the, that stage of growth when businesses really effectively need these execs that have been through the hoops of growing businesses in those growth stages. I'm positive and very bullish about Europe and its talent. And as I mentioned before, the talent pool is growing. We have more and more examples of companies going through that, those stages of growth. But it's really not, let's say, meeting the also growing number of promising European tech companies. I think that at the same time, Europe is becoming more and more of an attractive hub for talent in general, considering the current geopolitical climate of the world. There's more hopefully more and more, let's say, talented and experienced execs wanting to relocate here. And we've seen that with a handful of examples in our portfolio recently. 
but also, and let's not not discuss this, the current sort of trend around remote working is also enabling businesses to release the geographical constraints of hiring. And ultimately, there's obviously still a question of time zones and to make sure that teams are working somewhat at the same time. But we see that remote is enabling businesses to hire from a much wider talent pool and vice versa. Your portfolio companies are quite prepared to hire, say, chief revenue officer or head of growth based out in the States and bring that person on virtually to, to help them scale if, if he or she has the right kind of scale-up experience? I think so. We have a lot of remote-friendly companies in our portfolio and a growing number is adopting the remote-friendly trend. And as I said, that just increases the talent pool. It obviously depends on the specific function uh, that a business requires. Let's say that if you are trying to hire head of sales pre-2, 3 million of ARR when all of the sales execs and reps are in Europe, it becomes very difficult to manage that team from a remote setting. And sales is actually a, a part of the organization that leverages a lot um, the competition amongst the different peers to be more and more effective. So I would say that like, as you start thinking about going to market in the US and you need to hire a chief revenue officer that will then also hire a lot of other key members for that team, most likely in the US, I think a lot of our portfolio companies are looking at these options to tap into the US market, even sometimes without setting up a real office in the Bay Area, for example. That sounds like a, a sensible strategy. Bit of a change of direction now. What's the funniest or craziest investment pitch you've ever witnessed or experienced? That was one that I wasn't prepared for. The funniest or craziest investment pitch that I've invested in? No, it would be one that you absolutely walked away from. Ah, okay. Um, like a few weeks ago, we had William McQuillan on from Frontline Ventures, and he told me how he'd been stalked by Airbnb, and someone actually rented his Airbnb apartment and pitched him on a product that was completely unrelated to anything he invested in. So I just wondered if you'd ever seen something. It was just a, a, a horror show, or it just made you laugh. It was so hysterical. It wasn't a horror show, but I have a funny story. So I was visiting Israel and I was effectively looking or went to visit uh, in Jerusalem the wall and, and, and ultimately as I was leaving the site and coming back to my group of, of friends after a small prayer, someone listened to me speaking and realized that I was Portuguese. Um, and this was a Brazilian biotech entrepreneur, which is a space that I don't invest in, but I got pitched right there for a startup idea. Which, At the wall. <laughs> yeah, which was a really, really interesting thing to happen <laughs> right after a small prayer. And I'd, I'd say that we actually exchanged a couple of emails afterwards and became connected, realized that he actually knew parts of, or people from from my family in Brazil. So that was a really, really funny outcome out of something that I really wasn't expecting. 
good that you're able to give some uh, some advice and uh, and help that individual. So, uh, Ricardo, obrigado for joining me and sharing your perspective on B2B SaaS investing, scaling, and hiring. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. This episode of the Startup to Scale Up Game Plan was brought to you by Alpina Search. Head over to www.alpinasearch.com for advice on scaling your technology startup and recruiting high-impact senior talent.